today we, we're going to talk about your spiritual lives, which is from now until you see God. From now until you see God, right? It's the rest. What we've done so far is planted seeds, three seeds, faith, hope, and love. They were implanted in you at your baptisms and confirmations and the Holy Spirit came into you. They are seeds, and that's why we call you neophytes, right? What is a neophyte? It's a brand new plant. You're like, Dr. Teal, I'm pretty sure, Jeff, rather, I'm pretty sure we decided that our genus was not plants or minerals, but animals, rational animals. Correct? I'm glad you remember your Aristotle. And yet, the spiritual life is usually described in vegetable terms. Jesus talks this way again and again and again. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, then you will bear fruit. And you get all these vegetable images. The seeds are cast into the ground. Some got thorns, crunched the seeds. Some had stony ground and they didn't have any roots. But some landed in the ground of the word of God and they grew roots and they were nurtured by the sun and the rain. They grew into tall, strong plants, and eventually they bore fruit. That is the way your spiritual lives are going to be. This is not fast. It is not going to be a fire-struck, constant, fervor, emotional event. Because that is not normal life. Your spiritual lives are going to parallel your normal lives. As we've been telling you the whole time, when God makes a saint, he does not unmake the man. This is about humanity and human nature. Falling in love is one thing. Learning to love is something else. And so you will have moments of extreme emotion, heights, nerves, kind of like some of what you went through. And yet, some of you didn't go through some of that. And that's just fine. Right? You cannot expect every time you go take the Eucharist to have an emotional experience that knocks you down. In fact, most of the time you take the Eucharist like, yep, just got the Eucharist. Because that's what plants do, right? What we've done is given you a foundation. Here's the dirt. That's the foundation. It's the word of God. What is the truth of the faith? Here's you. <laughs> and into you we brought faith, hope, and love. Implanted as fundamental theological seeds. Which is what we told you from the beginning was going to happen. They are now in seed form in you. And then there's rain. There's the sun of divine light. Right? And eventually, a little tiny shoot is going to pop up. That's where you are right now. That's what we call you neophytes. A little tiny shoot, tiny little growth has started. And that little growth is eventually going to turn into an oak tree. Strong. Okay? Hurricanes will blow, and you'll be like, yeah, thanks. Seriously. Right? But right now, a lot of wind. A lot of things might shake you a little bit. We've tried to give you a rich foundation, but you are going to have to bring that sunlight and that rain and respond to that beautiful, rich soil that you've been given in order to keep that growth going. Because there's a point to all of that, right? What is the point? What is the end? What is our ultimate objective? What does full maturity look like? 
two fundamental goals. What is the greatest of all objectives? Second greatest, love your neighbor as yourself. And the greatest of all commandments? Love God with all of yourself. The goal is that every single element of you, every single faculty, not just your emotions, but your will. Not just your will, but your aspiration. Not just your aspiration, but your imagination and your intellect. Every single element of you becomes fully enhanced by the virtue of divine love. So that, as Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your might. You understand? Every element of you is fully immersed in the love of God and habituated. So that when you see God, you're like, hi, I've been waiting to see you. I'm ready. And right now, you started. But think about who you were the day before you got baptized. You're the same person. Your habits haven't just bingo changed. Now, I'll bet over the last year, as we've been working in RCI, there's been some shifts. I asked you at the very beginning, what are the top three things you know you're doing wrong right now? Remember that? I said, change those. And if you started working on those, if you look back, spiritual growth is measured in years, not days. If you look back almost a year back when we started this, you probably realize, I have actually made some progress in that. But that progress isn't just about not sinning, right? It's not just putting away the dark deeds. It's about replacing them with love. And that love is what's going to grow you as people that get bigger and bigger and bigger until you become not just a little tiny shoot, but a plant, not just a plant, but a tree, until the point where you are spreading seeds to you are, as Jesus says, you're bearing fruit. And then as those fruits drop, guess what's going to start to happen? Other people are going to see your lives of love and they're going to be drawn to it. You're, they're going to be drawn to it. Right? Because that's what happened with you with her, right? She is a beacon of light of God's love to you. But she herself got that beacon from someone else in her life or more than one or two or three or six. And those people got that beacon from other people that 80 years ago. And those people, further back. In fact, it's a long tradition. You know how we talked about the priesthood of the ordinations that go all the way back to the apostles and Jesus laying hands on them? That's the way the love of God has been being transmitted. The grace that you saw in Heidi is a grace that goes all the way back through love implantations and beacons of light that goes all the way back to Jesus. That's why we spread the flame and it makes Yes, it's a spreading flame that keeps going. And now you are transmitting the love that you saw in her you're going to transmit it to your son. You're going to transmit it to your family members. You're going to transmit it to your neighbors, the people around you. And it's going to be entirely natural. They're going to start to see you and increasingly say, what is the deal with this girl? And same thing with you, Brianna. Your family members and the people around you and the people you work with, they're going to increasingly see an increasing love and a grace and your talents enriched by the faith, hope, and love of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to start dropping these seeds, and people are going to be drawn to that. Same thing with you, Grant. And what you do, and the marriage you're about to link up with, with your wife, the children that you guys will bear, the families you're going to unite, the political action, all the things you're going to end up doing, the people you work with at your job, all of them should be seeing an increasing light of divine love. And same thing with you. With all the work you're doing, with all the pigs, 
You're still working with farmers and real human beings, right? And you're going to be a beacon of that light. That's what we're talking about. A transformation from one sort of life to another sort of life. Okay? Let's see how this works. Let's see how spiritual growth actually works by joining St. John. So turn with me to the very end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. St. John wrote three tiny little letters. And let's look at the first one. 1 John chapter 2, page, if you have this version, well, I don't know what version you've got at this point, but you probably have so many. Page 1742 in this version, the very end of your deck to Revelation, you back, not the gospel of John, keep going. If you've got red letters, you've got to keep going. Keep going. <laughs> You're like way back here, all the way then. Hebrews, 1 Peter. After Peter, you get to the Johns. Third letter, second, back up one more, we'll get to first. You're almost there. Yeah, John's a tricky guy because he's got his main gospel. Then he gets three little letters at the end. You say it's not fair. It isn't fair. How are you supposed to keep track? First John, chapter 2. We'll start with line 12. Page 1742, for those of you who've got the original edition we gave you. Chapter 2, line 12. I am writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. Now, this might seem a little bit weird, right? <laughs> what is he doing? What is he talking about? Well, notice we have two sets of three. And the two sets of three are the same three things. And if we put them into a chart, we'll see St. John giving us the three stages of spiritual growth. Stage one, what's the first stage? I write to you. Little children. So these are the babies, the little kids. Notice we've changed the metaphor. Now we're out of plants, we're human beings, right? Three stages of spiritual growth. All right, first stage, little children. Second stage, young men and women. Third stage, very good. Fathers and mothers, so parents. All right, and let's characterize each one. Little children, he gives two characterizations to in the different couplets. What are they? Sins are, whoops, that's supposed to be an A, forgiven. And you now know the Father. Good. Young men, what are the characterizations of the young men, young, young men and women? You are strong, why? And we get the reason, because. And you've overcome the evil one. How do you do that? Because the word of God abides in you. Good. Parents, spiritual fathers. Good. 
Yes, indeed. Note that. Very good. He says exactly the same thing. Apparently, you can't get better than this. Right? Notice that. So, ditto. Doesn't change that. All right? So, you neophytes, little tiny new plants, obviously you are little children. And notice how you experience perfect patterns under what St. John is saying. Your sins have been forgiven. You walked into the confessional for the first time. You walked into the waters of baptism. And you have now been, for the first time in your lives, reconciled to God through the forgiveness of your sins through the death of Christ. And that is, and can be, a deeply emotional experience. But not just an emotional experience. It's a metaphysical experience. It's a transformation through reconciliation with God that you finally are members of his family and you feel connected. Right? Which is part of what drew you to the church in the first place because it's through Christ that you have connection to God. And so not only your sins are forgiven, but that is the pathway of your reconciliation to God. You now know God as your Father. So when we say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that is now fully legitimated and real for you. You are now members of God's family. You are adopted as sons, co-heirs with Christ. You are members of his family. Brothers and sisters with Jesus. That's the language that Jesus himself uses. You are my friends. You are my brothers and sisters if you share in this with me. That is why this is the description. And that's the first step, right? And you will be and can be deeply overwhelmed by this. And neophytes, this is their experience. God loves me. What else is there to talk about? What else is there to talk about? And you're entirely right. That's the experience I had throughout the week as I reflected yeah. on uh, reconciliation. I had thought about the things that I shared, and then I realized they didn't affect me the, the way that they did before when I was thinking about them. Yeah. It's different now. And every time something from the past comes back to haunt you, Oh, wait a minute now. My sins are forgiven. And it, it just changes it, right? Sometimes there's people we need to make, need to make things right with, right? That, that can be true. But with God, fundamentally, there's been a shift. And now you've changed. It's not just that your sins are forgiven. Remember, forgiveness is negative. God has put it away. So have you. Otherwise, what's the point of going and confessing it if you're like, well... Father, this is my sin and I love it. He, no, 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 no. I'm coming to the confessional. I'm coming into baptism because I want to put my sin away, right? That's the whole motive. And that's why the priest asks you, are you sorry for this sin? You're like, yes. I'm putting it away. God is putting it away. That eliminates the barrier between us, creates the reconciliation. Right? And through baptism and confession and the renewal of that constant through continued confessional, all right, you will continue to walk in that state of forgiveness and you will know God as Father. You are members of God's family. Nobody can change that. And that is a miracle, frankly. <laughs> that is a miracle. And that is why neophytes are overwhelmed by these things. Rightly so. And yet we say it's a beginning. Because your sins being forgiven and you knowing God as Father means you're a child, right? 
And you are. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right? But if you're a parent and you have a baby in your arms, you look at that baby, you're awestruck by that baby. And yet you're also curious. What are you thinking? You have a mind. I remember when I looked at my children for the first time and I was like, I know there's something going on in there. I can see causality functioning. What's happening? And I remember when my daughter Julia first was able to speak. And I could finally talk to her. It's like, yes. Right? For a dad, that's a different kind of experience. Mothers have this sublinguistic connection, right? Much deeper than I get that. I know that. I understand that. I don't experience it, but I understand that. Different. But for me to be able to communicate with my daughter, that was extraordinary. So at some point, the little child begins to change, begins to grow, and the parents are curious. Who are you becoming? So what characterizes the young man and the young woman? What is your next objective? That's the question. You understand? What does St. John tell us? What characterizes young man and woman? Their sex. Say again? Their sex. Well, yes. Young men and young women, both. Both sexes are included in this. And then, what have they done? They've overcome the evil one, and the way they've done it is here. So let's start with what does it mean to overcome the evil one? The devil. Correct. How do you overcome the devil in your life? Pray. Okay. So let's put those three together, and we've got the whole package. Well done. Well, you guys are learning. You're learning. Step one, stop sinning. Step two, whenever you stop a sin, you, that's a negative of a negative. You need to replace it with something good, something true, something lovely. Stop sinning, replace the sin with an act of love, and use prayer, right, as the conduit to effect that. St. Paul says it this way with theft. Stop stealing, get a job, and give to those in need. Every single sin is like that. Every time you try to fight a sin, remember, you're not just putting off a negative, you're putting on the replacement virtue. And when you do that, you start putting on the virtues. And remember, the virtues are your armor against the devil. As you become increasingly virtuous, you're going to become increasingly human. Filling with light and glory, what does it mean to be a full human being? You're not going to be falling in pure animality of the hedonist, confusing pleasure with spirituality. You're going to know. To be a human being is to enjoy pleasure and delight but not in a way that harms my neighbor or myself, right? You're not going to do that. You're not going to use people around you simply for your pleasures. You're not going to fall into that kind of pure animality. That's hedonism. We like, no, 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 that's not good enough. On the other hand, you're not going to go for the spiritualistic excesses and say, well, I'm sorry, I'm too holy for human beings, right? Go into this kind of weird Gnostic stuff. We talked about that too. You've seen the two sides. Neither one works. The only thing that works is fulfilling who and what you are. And the ultimate defense is to be a full human being. Physical, spiritual, one fully natural unification. How do we do that? Virtue. Because every single virtue avoids the excess, it avoids the deficiency, and it makes you strong. Courage, moderation, wisdom, justice, and then, on top of those, faith, hope, and love. They are your objectives. 
and you want to do everything you can in your life to push sins out and put in the habits of love to affect those four virtues. And when you do, the demonic attacks, the temptations that occur to you, you're like, uh, no, I don't think so. In fact, the, the apostles are a little cute on this. At one point, they suggest something like this. You can get to the point where when the enemy attacks you, every single time you get tempted, you're like, okay, not only am I not going to do that, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm now going to go out and love someone. And they'll be like, damn, every time we attack with a move, they turn around and love. It's not worth the effort. Exactly. St. James says it this way. When the devil tempts you, submit yourselves to God, resist him, and he'll flee from you. Turn every, St. Paul says, turn every opportunity for evil into an opportunity for good. And then what happens? You begin to have so much strength in your life, you overcome the evil one. You become increasingly resistant to sin. Sin is the thing you must overcome at the first stage of your second stage of your spiritual growth. How do you do that? How do you get that kind of strength? How do you develop virtue? The word of God abides in you. Now, what does that mean? Let's talk about that. What are the ways in which the word of God abides in us? Who is the word of God? Christ. And what have you recently experienced as the first and foremost way that he can abide in you? Through the Eucharist. Stage point number one. Always take the Eucharist. It is your spiritual food. You need to do that every single week. Every single week. If you had a new baby, would you feed it every day? Yes, multiple times. Well, you are new babies, and you need to eat. You say, well, maybe I should go more than once a week. Okay. Pick up another mass. Like, yeah, I could do that. But don't do less. Remember we talked about the barrage? The enemy attack that would try to prevent you from coming into the church? And some of you ran into different kinds of barriers and different kinds of problems, personal problems, uh, paranormal problems, financial problems, health problems, all kinds of craziness hits you in the couple of months just before you come into the church. Probably you had a pickup of attack, difficulty, challenge. And the suggestion was, you know, you can wait. You don't need to come into the church now. Or, oh, the church can't help you solve this problem. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm coming in. Does it affect you or loved ones too? can affect any of them. Because I don't feel that affected. I feel like Eric's got more of it than I did. Well, see, and that can put pressure on you. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of clever, sneaky ways the enemy will move on you. But you held your ground and you pushed your way through. That was the first brush. Now, you're just like, what? There's a second one? Oh, there's a second one. Now you're in for the second brush. You ready? You know what it is? Every single, thir- every single weekend, you're going to think to yourself, oh, I should go to Mass. And every single weekend, you will feel to yourself, oh, you know, do I really need to go this week? I could do something else. I'll probably go next week anyway. I don't really feel that good. I could go tomorrow. I'll do it later. This is going to be a constant attack on you for the next six months. 
And every time it's, this is what you're being told. Don't feed. Why would you need to feed? You're not really a spiritual thing at all. But you are spiritual creatures, aren't you? And you need to feed. And the Eucharist is your food. So the next barrage is this, and you've got to be ready for this. Every single weekend, you will be tempted with some stupid reason about why, oh, I don't really need to go to Mass. Just decide right now. We are going to Mass. Six months, every single Sunday or Saturday, whichever one you pick, commit yourself. And if you do this for six months, you will win this war. Because by then it will be a habit. Fully entrenched habit. Okay, if you have a couple relationship, don't let your spouse, fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, wherever you are in the relationship, don't let them push you the other way. You like, no, we're going. Take the leadership and say, this is going to happen. Because this is the only way you're going to be able to sustain. Because this is an attack and you have to be ready for this. The first thing they're going to try to do is take you back. The way to do that is to starve you. The way to starve you is to keep you from the Eucharist. So you have to commit yourself. I need another layer of that challenge because I, I made that habit over COVID and things yeah. like that. But it's, I didn't think about it until Heidi made it a thing is when you travel. And, it, you know, I can't take St. Mary with me. No. Nope. Everywhere I go, so I have can't. to seek out a place to go to yeah. mass. And that's the glory of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Phone book. Church is everywhere. You can go to a foreign country. You don't even know the language. doesn't make a bit of difference. We were in France. We were in Paris. We went to Mass. Do we understand what they're saying? Well, she does a little bit. I didn't know it so much. Does it matter? No. Okay? When they're singing the Lamb of God, when they're singing the songs, the Sanctus, you're like, oh, I recognize that part. But the struggle happens when, like, for example, when I travel with family who doesn't go to church. Yeah, there are times when you're going to have to make adjustments, and because of the people you're with, remember this doctrine of Christian liberty? Sometimes you have to give for the sake of the others. But as much as you can, yeah. try to find that way. Yeah. Okay? Much as you can. No, I did, but there was a lot of like, well, maybe I don't. Well, maybe I could go. I could. <laughs> and then I just went. <laughs> yes. You've got the have to, you've got the want to, you have the don't want to. And what you need to take all three of those, simply throw them overboard and say, this is what I'm doing. I don't care about want, have to, don't want to. Out it goes. I'm going. That's it. And if you just push yourself, foot going out the door, getting out of bed, and you go, then once you're sitting there, you'll be like, this is so easy. Why did I think this was a problem? But until you're there, there's this weird resistance. That's an attack. So you're going to have to learn to anticipate the enemy movement and realize, I told you, we are at war. You're in it now, my friends. And they're going to try to prevent you from getting to fullness. And the first step is to move you out from abiding in the word of God. The only way you're going to grow is through his life. And the chief way you do that as a Catholic is the Eucharist. Second way you do that, the word of God is also the teaching of the faith. You're like, well, when I go to Mass, I don't just get the Eucharist. I get to hear Father Vince. Oh, you're right about that. You say, well, lots happening in the Mass. Oh, yeah. All right, absolutely right. And so you're going to listen to the sermon, and you're going to think through the readings of the Gospel. And you're going to think through the readings. And that's something you can do in a lot of other forms. Who's the other pastor? Well, we have one priest right now, but sometimes Deacon Roger will preach too. 
And then sometimes we have these fill-in priests because we have too many masses for just one priest, and this priest will help out over here, or this. So it all depends. Well, yes. <laughs> Some of the other guys are, you know. Well, that can be a problem. Well, there's different older gentlemen. There's different. Yeah, we have oh. a different order. Do we, can we tell who's going to be doing which mass yet? Is there a way to figure that out? The church, uh, churches generally don't advertise it because they yeah. don't want people to do it. They don't want you to do what you're about to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, yeah. Not you. I mean the rest of us. <laughs> I understand. I, and I, I can't remember which guy. There's, there's. Yeah, Father Vince is, is superb. Father, Deacon Roger is awesome. You're very lucky, okay? And there's one of the guys who's older who's a uh, chaplain at one of the local colleges, and he's also a very good teacher. No, not, him. not him. And there's, there's the, the older one that has like the real soft voice. Yes. 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 So makes, I don't know, but I love that priest. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and remember, we've talked to you. We've talked to you about the fact that each priest brings a different thing to the table. Okay, but the teaching is valuable, and there's a teaching element that is critical for us to grow in, and well, that's where we need teaching. Okay, <laughs> some of it comes from the pulpit. But also, a lot of it comes from these kinds of events. I mean, think about what we accomplish in an hour and a half as we go through whatever topic. It's way beyond what you can do in a 15 or 20 minute sermon. All right. So, and you're going to see as you keep coming here, next fall, this fall, we're going to be opening up a whole, whole new wave of adult formation projects that are going to be faith home groups. All right. And you guys will be able to be a part of those. And all kinds of topics that will just allow you to keep on growing in this area. And this one, you'd be like, wow, this is so interesting. All kinds of things. Plus the special classes we do, all kinds of things. So take advantage of all of the things that we provide. And then realize there's a whole world out there. For 2,000 years, the church has been teaching and growing. And you can find out about those through online resources, all kinds of books. Right? She was just talking to me. And actually somebody else was about Father Mike, which is another guy. Okay, you've got the Forum series. You've got Ascension Press. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that can start to feed and help you grow. There's a lot. I got to get some water. Yes, he is, and you weren't supposed to find out about that. <laughs> you rascals. Yes, I need water. I'm all out. Yes, that's good. I'm glad you guys saw that. But we got a little competition going there tonight, apparently. Yes, if it hadn't been for me doing this now, because I was sick last week. You would have been probably over there with that gang doing the um, asking anything. Ask him anything, yeah. But there'll be lots of chances, don't you worry. Yeah. Okay, any questions about stage two? All right, notice stage three. What does it mean to know him as who is from the beginning? How is that different from knowing God as your father? What is going on down here? Okay, spiritually, you've got an advanced spiritual relationship with God. But what does it mean to know him who is from the beginning? Trust 
Okay. So who is God in his original nature, right? Creator. Who is God in his essence? The one who is from the beginning, who exists independently be prior even to creation. Remember, creation is a role we know him as because he created. If he hadn't he created, he would still be, and who would he be then? Who? Exactly. Who is God in his essence, right? Remember, we talked about this. Love. The mature believer is the person who knows God as he is in himself, essentially a multiplicity of persons in a reciprocal state of eternal love. Remember, we talked about God as the Trinity and what that means. And how every single community of our lives, our families, our friendships, right? The state, ideally, the church should be these realms and orbits of love. When we know God as he is in himself, when we have reached that love and maturity, then we are aiming our lives at that kind of love. Where every element and relationship in our lives is constantly being developed, moved, motivated by, and directed toward the love of God. And that makes you a beacon of light. When people see you, they see Christ. When people see you, they are drawn to the love of God. That makes you a replicator. They see you, they say, I want that. I want to be like Brianna. I want to be like Grant. I want to be like Christina. I'm going to include you. Not RCA candidate or catechumen. <laughs> Not even if I, oh, I'm getting back to you. I'm over here. Andrew, a light, a magnet drawing people. Back over here. Kaylee, a light filled with the love of God. People drawn to the point where they are replicators themselves. Parents. Spiritual parents are people who are then training and develop and nurturing and caring for the people who are at the next generation up. You've seen it modeled for you right here where that Heidi has constantly been drawing and taking care of. And, I mean, look at the relationship she has with this young lady. And they're not even that different in age. But there's, she's been around the block. Right? And yet there's people in her life that are probably spiritual grandmothers to her. All of you have spiritual godparents. And ideally, that's what a godparent should be doing for you. But as you grow in the faith, you are going to eventually become parents to still others. And you will draw them into the faith and they'll come become part of RCIA. And then the process will just keep growing. This is how we grow the church. This is how we grow ourselves. This is how we grow the next generation. Okay? We finally come to enrich, in an enriched way, know who God is and love him so much that that light pours through us to the people around us. Do you understand the model? That is spiritual growth. All right. Let's go to St. Paul's book of Ephesians and see how this is supposed to function in our relationships to one another. So back up. So we go back to the Thessalonian letters, the Colossian letters, and to the great book of Ephesians. So this is going to be page... Hmm, how about 1659? Chapter verse? Chapter 4, 
of Ephesians 11 through 16. Okay, keep your close. You can go this way. Corinthians. And then after Corinthians, you get Galatians. After Galatians, you get Ephesians. You're, oh, so close. You got Ephesians? Sorry, what was Page the... 1505, more or less, for you. It's 15. Keep going a little bit more. Chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's start with verse line 11. Uh, Kaylee, why don't you read to us Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Read us the whole thing. to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it, it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. All right. So let's start at the beginning of that section. God gave apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay, here's your clergy, right? Father Vince types, bishops, popes. Why? To equip the holy ones, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Question, who is the minister in the church? The priest. Mm. Read it over again. Uh, nope, not Christ. Christ is not the minister. Body. Priest is not the minister. What was that? The people, in other words, Christ. you, 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 you. Okay, now this is completely backwards, right? All the other denominations think the minister is the guy who stands up front and does all that stuff. Nope, not according to St. Paul. Not at all. According to St. Paul, the priest is nothing but a chef. That's it. Spiritual chef. Like, what do you mean? The priest's job is to feed you, to build you up. He's a chef builder, if you want to use the building imagery. We've got two going on here. Feed, build, you, for what? The work of the ministry. My friends, you are the ministers, not the priest. You are the ministers, not the priests. Let that really sink into your minds. Minister comes from the word administer, yeah? To take something that's been given and to administer it. What's been given? The body. The well, yes, but that's not what we're talking about now. The word's been given, but what's been given to you? Correct. All the talents and traits and qualities and gifts that constitute each one of you. 
There's a set of qualities and capabilities that you have, Christina, that none of us do. Andrew, same thing. If you were eliminated, we would all lose something. I don't just mean us. I don't just mean St. Mary's. I don't just mean the Church of Columbus. I mean the entire church. Because he is an irreplaceable asset. God created him with a set of qualities that nobody else has in that unique combination. Same thing with Grant. Same thing with you, Brianna. That is how important you all are. You are gifts. Gifts given by the Father to the Son for his body. Let's read it and look. To equip the Holy Ones for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The building up of the body of Christ isn't even the priest's job. It's our job. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. What does that mean? To the extent of the full stature of Christ. See again the stages of growth. So that we are no longer mere children, right? As infants tossed by waves, swept by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery. They're cunning in the interest of deceitful scheming. Look, we have tried our best in the last nine or ten months to ground you in the faith, to understand all the nonsense out there. And there is a lot more. And if you keep studying, keep working with us, keep working with the church, you will continue to grow and not only understand the truth, you'll expose the ridiculous, nonsensical errors. And you'll be like, no, 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 I'm not falling for that. And that will make you strong and intellectually and morally resistant to the attacks of the enemy. So that... Rather, instead of falling for all that stuff, living the truth in love, that will be your new mantra, living the truth in love, you'll grow in every way into him who is the head, namely Christ. He's the head of the body from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament with the proper functioning of each part brings about the body's growth and builds itself up in love. That means we have a new image. Christ is the head. Right? We are the body. The priest isn't even on this thing. He's feeding you. He's feeding you. That's his job. He's not the minister. The body grows when you grow and use your gifts on one another. Let me just ask you something. Have you noticed the relationships that you guys have begun to form amongst each other since we've started this process. The friendships you've begun to build. The care you started to have for one another. You didn't even know who each other were before this thing began. And now we care not just about Grant, but Erica. She's not even here. But we know about Erica. And we met Abram. Abraham. Abram. Abram. Darn, so close. <laughs> <laughs> That's my area. You know, I can never remember names. We know about Melanie. Finally met her. She's a real person. Sure. <laughs> and we met your boyfriend. Right? And we met your son. It's expanding. Right? Our care expands. And when you get to know people, you start to care about them. Well, there's more people. There's Eric. And if we met Eric, we got to know him. He's not here tonight. He was having his birthday party this weekend with Casey in Georgia. There's Casey. And Eric and Casey are connected to other people. 
You met Jim and Candace. And we'll finish with our super party that we're going to have in two, a week and a half back at Jim and Candace's. Well, Jim and Candace have kids. And there's people in their orbit, right? And the point is, you get to know this person and then this person. And every single person you meet, who you are is a gift to that person. I, I told you that when you love Erica, you will have to daily make a choice to give yourself to her every single day. Same thing with you to your husband. You're getting married the quickest here. Right? Every single day. Not I, but Melanie. And for me, since I'm married to my wife, every single day, not me, but Elisa, and vice versa. That's our fundamental familial commitment. But you think about what it means to have friendship. You with Kaylee, right? You with your friends. You with your other friends. Isn't there something similar there? Deeper in marriage, right? But close friends, it's very close. Well, those kind of relationships expand. And so the talents and skills that you use in a deep, close friendship have other applications. And in the body of Christ, though, that's who you are. And we're all different. Look, there's things I absolutely cannot do. Like, I was talking to her the other day, okay? And she was telling me she has a certain uh, nifty craftiness, okay? A kind of engineering with tools and capability and ability to fix things, make houses better. Keep me away from saws, electricity. I do not step on roofs. I always fall off. There was a bad incident one time, okay? That is not Jeff Teal. No, 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 no. I'm prohibited. I do not. Any power tool is a high-risk scenario. I'm a teacher. And that's probably what I should stick with. You probably agree with that. I'm good at that. But the things that you can do and the things that Elisa can do on those scores, I know it seems counter to typical gender relationships, right? But who cares? That's not my skill. That's yours. And you have skills, right? And you have a whole set of skills. And you also, with all those chemical biological things, we hope for the good. Every single one of you. And it's not just your professional skills, right? You might make pies. And you might be a person who prays for people. You're just a person who's filled with compassion for others. You understand where I'm going with this? It's all those traits and capabilities. And if you were not in the church, we would be missing something. And if you were not in the church, and if your son, who you care so much about, he needs to come in too, right? And we're going to expand this because he matters. You know how much important he is. Well, if he's that important to you, think how important he is to God. You understand? My point is every single one of you matter. And we are the body. Finger, toe, kneecap, heart, stomach. Well, st stomach, heart. <laughs> Vulcan biology, wrong one. <laughs> we have all these different parts. And here's the thing. The world will only see Christ if we're all doing our part. Imagine if Jesus has no kneecaps. That's not going to work. Jesus isn't going anywhere if there's no kneecaps. No eyes, he can't see. No hands, he can't reach out and heal. You understand? You have been gifted to the church by Christ to his body to help fulfill the body, as Ephesians says, speaking the truth in love, living that out so that all we have the full proper functioning of every single part which brings the body's growth and builds itself up in love. So my friends, you have begun. You have not finished. You have begun. RCIA is the first step. Now you're in the body of Christ. 
Now God has given you a set of gifts and skills and capabilities and you should be looking at yourself saying, yeah, what can I do? Because I'm the minister. Father Vince is not the minister. I'm the minister. Who am I? What are my skill sets? Take a look at 1 Corinthians 12. Back up another couple books. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12. And let's go with line 12. So this is on page 1616 for those with my edition. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12. St. Paul again, as a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all given a drink of one spirit. Which, of course, just happened with you. Now, the body is not a single part, but many. If a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it does not, for this reason, belong any less to the body. Or if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it does not, for this reason, belong any less to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God placed the parts, each one of them, in the body as he intended. Think about that. Stop looking at other people and wishing you were those people. Stop looking at other people's talents and wishing you had those talents. This is a major mistake. Keep in mind, the people you're looking at are looking at other people and maybe even you thinking exactly the same thing. Where does that get us? Look, you might say, I just wish I could sing like that other person. There are beautiful singers. And apparently you've been gifted with an ear to recognize that. That's your gift. Not the singing, but the appreciation. Do not envy other people their gifts. Be grateful for their gifts. Be thankful for their gifts. And then use the ones that you have been given. Because God made you a unique person just like that other person. So never fall for this, I'll only be satisfied if I'm someone else. Wake up. You are who you are. A unique divine creation. If God didn't want to make you, he wouldn't have made you. If he did make you, you'd think you could appreciate the system and say, yeah, that's right, I'm made. Well, who am I? If I'm not an eye, so what? Maybe I'm a kneecap. Maybe I'm a toe. Am I really going to reject divine providence and say God didn't know what he was doing? After all we've taught you about God's providence, is that what we're coming back to? And yet a lot of us are not satisfied with who we are. We say, well, I wish I was this way. I wish I had this color hair. I wish I could do this. I wish I could make this much money. I Stop wishing for what you aren't and start to be thankful for who you are. God made you. Nobody can beat that. So use the gifts that you have. Stop wanting to be something else. Accept who you are and say, Lord, here am I. Use me for your glory. And this will liberate you in your life. You'll stop being unsatisfied. You'll stop focusing always on yourself. And you'll start giving yourself to others saying, well, if God made me, I must have something to give. And boy, are you right about that.
So open your heart up to use what you have to give to others. That's what Paul is talking about here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again to the feet, I do not need you. Indeed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are all the more necessary. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we surround with greater honor. And our less presentable parts are treated with greater propriety, whereas the more presentable parts do not need this. But God has so constructed the body as to give greater honor to a part that is without it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts share its joy. So it is time for us to value one another, look to one another, be grateful for one another. When one of us is hurting, go and hug that person and hurt with that person. If one of us is rejoicing, go and hug that person and rejoice with that person. We are one lived community. Do you understand this enormous teaching of the body of Christ? This is your life from now on. Because you are in Christ, that means you're in his body. And your happiness and your success in life depend on you fulfilling the function that God created you for. Jesus himself said the same thing. Take a look at St. Matthew's Gospel. Now back up. Corinthians, you get to Acts. Romans, Acts. Then you get the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The first one is Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So go back to St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Page 1388. Matthew chapter 25, line 14. Jesus told a parable. It will be as a man who was going on a journey, called in his servants, and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Notice he says exactly the same thing to that servant. Same thing. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew your demanding person, harvesting where you didn't plant, gathering where you didn't scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here, it's back. His master said to him in reply, You lazy, wicked servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter? Should you not then have at least put my money in the bank so that when I got it back, there'd be a little interest? Now then take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will go rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside 
where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. That should make you think. Let's consider this. God distributes talents according to his own will. We are not the same. Some people are significantly greater capable than others. For God, that's just fine. God is not remotely interested in our considerations of fairness. We've already seen that he doesn't care. In fact, some of the reasons he'd given one person way more than someone else is to teach us our need of one another so the person with much will recognize the need of the person with less and both will come together in love. So just take your concepts of fairness and throw them right out the window. They're useless here. Every single one of you are one of those servants who have been given some talents. You may have one, you may have three, you may have ten, you may have twenty-five. God only knows. Some of you haven't even thought about it yet. and You'll be like, actually, I can do quite a few things. Fair enough. To whom much is given, much will be required. If you've been given the five or the ten, notice the pattern. You double it. The worst thing off is no matter how much we've been given, one, five, ten, twenty, to do nothing. That's not what you were given that capability for. Those capabilities were given to invest and grow. Right? Now, in our personal lives, we tend to understand this. And we use our capabilities to enhance our lives, to have more stuff, to you know, uh, enjoy our capabilities. Of course. Perfectly acceptable. You might recognize that these talents and capabilities are useful for you, for your families. To have families, to support them, to care for them. Absolutely correct. Same thing with your friends. Same thing with your civic obligations, your social obligations. And you can recognize that all your skills and capabilities, they might be useful in business. They might be useful in various organizations. They might be useful in the body politic. Look, you're not a single faceted person. You have commitments all over, the, all over the place. Those talents are not just for you. They're for your friendships. They're for your family members. They're for the body politic. Absolutely correct. But they're also gifts to the church. And so those talents must be used not just for yourself, but for the good of one another. Because you have skills that I don't have, that I need. And I have skills that you don't have, that you need. And Andrew has skills that I don't have, that I need, and vice versa. And Elisa has skills that I don't have. What do you think I married her for, right? It's complementarity. Let me tell you. I am grateful for the skill sets that she has that I do not have, and vice versa. And Brianna, you have skills I don't have, that I need, and vice versa. And Heidi, same thing. And if I need, if Heidi, you and I have the same skill, then Father Vince or Deacon Roger or someone else doesn't. You all have talents. And God expects us to use those talents for the sake of love of the body. And Jesus is really serious, right? If we don't use our talents, then we're good for nothing. So we have a duty and an obligation to use this for the sake of love. Look, how do you love other people? You use what you've got. That's your talents. That's your capability. That's your wealth. That's your time. That's your energy. 
So we have a duty to take care of and love one another. And traditionally, the church interprets this in three material ways. What are we talking about when we have this general word, talent? Three things. You can think of it as three T's. Treasure, talent in the characteristic or trait sense, capability, and time. First off, our treasure. You're like, I knew this had to come at some point. They're a church. At some point, they had to hit us up with money. Oh, yeah. I know. I was thinking of the paper that I filled out and then forgot at home. Don't worry. I got another one. Okay. You just send me, send me a scan it or turn it at some point. That's right. That's absolutely correct. What we do here, think about how much it costs us to be able to put this program on for you. We're going to do this next year with a whole new group of candidates. Some of what you got was due to the patronage of people. We had the patrons program here. Andrew, I'm going to single you out, was one of our patrons. He gave up his own money and noticed his time because he cared about you and wanted to get to know you. And think how much enhanced we were because of that. That's right. We should be. The, and we are deeply grateful. I would like to ask every one of you to be a patron next year. It's not very costly, 100 bucks. That's nothing big. But what it means is you're going to meet with one of our people next year, take them to dinner, take them to a coffee, bring them over to your house, and you've just been through it. You know what it's like. They're, I'm a little worried. I don't know about this. Well, it's okay. I was in it last year. I know what it's like. That's not unreasonable. The best people who understand it from the inside are you. And you now get the chance, right, to help the next generation. And some of you, they may ask you to be sponsors. Right? They may have their own sponsors. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But you can become patrons and help us next year with your treasure to help support RCIA. And of course, you know, all churches need money. There's lights, there's buildings, there's father vents, there's the deacon, there's all these things that we have to do. And some of you are wealth creators. And some of you are barely wealth creators, right? You earn your check. Most of it goes to taxes and the government. What you got left, you're like, and this is wealth? Right? I understand that. We're all different. Some people are very successful. Some of us aren't. OK. Every one of us can give a little. And you should think to yourself, that's right, I can. I can give a little. So what can you give, right? Alisa earlier likened it to NPR. You know how they hit you up if you ever watch the NPR thing or listen to it on the radio? Is it NPR? And they say, well, you know, if, or PBS, if you just didn't go to Starbucks once a week, you know the argument, right? I would say $5 or $10 if I didn't go twice. If you add that up, lo and behold, I got $250. I got $500. It's true. Right? A tiny little reduction, you turn that around, and you help the people, other people, and you help support the program. That's something that you can do. And some of you can do a lot more. I have no idea what all your wealth is, what your wealth capabilities are. 
but you can do more. And you can specifically, if you want, the deacon actually authorized me to tell you this, you can specifically support our program here. So let's suppose you decide, all right, I'm going to try to give $250 a week. Again, I don't know if that's reasonable or not for, for your income. $250 a week. All right. You could say of that, you could say, I'm going to take half of that, I'm going to write on the check, RCIA, or adult formation. And the deacon said, those funds will go directly to our program to help enhance and grow it. Which I thought was awesome, right? It's awesome. So that's something that you can do. Your treasure matters. Only through funds are we able to do all, many of the types of things that we do. Okay, you think about our social programming, all of our feasts, all of our feasts, think about this. Jim and Candace, they just say, yeah, we'll do it. And the next party we have, all the alcohol they're providing. Where do you think all that alcohol comes from? This is a charity for crying out loud. <laughs> it's through the gifts of people like you, through the gifts of them. You can be a part of that. You can help us help the next groups. Okay, so I really want you to think about how important that is. All right, the church needs your support. Don't fail in this measure. Talent. All the gifts and capabilities that you have. Some of people are wealth creators, but some of you are pie makers. Some of you are plumbers. Some of you are electricians. Some of you are people with gifts of compassion and charity. You have all kinds of capabilities. How can your traits and talents be used by the body of Christ? First step, ask yourself what your traits are. Write them down. Here's my capabilities. Second step, what is existing right now in the church that I can use these capabilities for? And then join up. Go to those people and say, hey, I do this. I'd love to join you. All kinds of things are out there. You say, well, you said pie maker, but I don't see where pies fit on here. Not a problem. If you have a bunch of capabilities and you just I have no idea where I fit, that's fine. Let us know. Let the deacon know. Say, here's what I can do. What? Help me figure out what I can do. Because let me tell you something. God gave you to us. Just as he gave us to you. And that means you have a spot. The fact that we can't have the eyes yet to see what it is just means we need to open them a little bit wider. And here's something else I want you to think about. Your talents aren't just met for St. Mary's. Your talents are met for the people around you in your job. They're met for your family members. They're met for your neighbors down the street. They're made for the members of your book, book club, your soccer group, right? your sports teams, your friends at the bar that you meet with every Friday. And I'm not talking about being a religious wacko. You understand. We don't mean that. Okay? We mean that you are a person who cares about the people around you. Not just in the church in an organizational way, but this characterizes who you are because you represent God's love. Finally, time. There's a lot of things we do around here that have nothing to do with any particular talent. We just need bodies to help do certain things. <laughs> you say, well, this doesn't require my talents at all. That's right. <laughs> okay. Like at the end of every class, a bunch of you guys always come and say, well, we've got to get this room back in the proper configuration. Right? And all the men help us out. Or some of the women, too, probably. <laughs> that's, that's very helpful. That's great. I really appreciate that every week. <laughs> well, there's lots of other things like that which it doesn't require specific, a whole bunch of special skills, but we, have, we need a bunch of people to help without, you know, do that thing. And you say, yeah, I can do that. So treasure, talent, time. Think about your life and the whole person that you are 
and where you fit into the body of Christ. How you can use your skills and grow to do that. All right? All right, two last things. First, this fall, we're going to be starting a whole series of faith home groups, which means we're going to have people volunteer to give their homes. They're going to have a kind of a special study on, we're going to have a whole bunch of different topics you'll get to choose from, right? And you can sign up and say, well, I'd like to do that. And this will allow you to meet new people, right? Or if you guys want to sort of agree together to pick the same one, you could all do that and keep going as a, as a group. That's just fine. Right? I want to strongly encourage you to join one of those groups. All right? Secondly, this is from a radio program that's a gift to you. That's separate. By the way, I gave them theirs, but you were just missing the week that I first brought them. Oh, okay. okay, so don't worry. <laughs> they got theirs. And these are called the neophyte gifts. They probably should be a gardening kit, but it's probably something more spiritual. It's something more spiritual. This is from the church. To honor the fact that you are... <laughs> it's a chia, that's right. Okay. And what's in here, I talked to Deacon, has not yet been blessed. So what you can do is ask Father at some point to bless it for you. We'll give James his when we see him next at the party, hopefully. Okay. Um... Yeah, you can open them for sure, yeah. Go ahead and open them now so you know what they are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we got them all gift Barbies. <laughs> Not true. Not true. All right, so one of the things you'll notice about Catholics in our homes, physical spaces matter. Our homes are very holy and sacred. And so you'll find a lot of Catholic homes, you'll find a cross over the doorway. Some will take smaller crosses like these, these littler ones, all right, and they'll put them over every single doorway. Uh, this cross could be something that you use for that. On the other hand, you could put it in a special spot where you like to pray or whatever else you like to do with your, holy, with your cross. We also like to bless objects. So at some point, you can have Father come to your home and do a home blessing, which we've talked about in the past when we discussed angels and demons. And you could also, uh, you know, you could bring it to church and have him bless it and bless it that way. Okay? And this is a gift from us to you as you start your life in the faith. All right. Uh, do you have a final prayer for us, Tony? and keep you all. May your faith journey continue to unfold and make known to you the wonderful mystery of God's love through the risen Christ. In the, name of the, Father, the, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.